This message comes from NPR sponsor Wix eCommerce, the professional platform that enables entrepreneurs all over the world to create and run their online store and grow their e-commerce business. If you want to sell online, make sure you stand out. Go to Wix eCommerce and create an online store that will grab shoppers' attention. Build a state-of-the-art storefront, showcase your product with striking product pages, and sell subscriptions. Go global and display prices in local currencies. Boost your sales by offering instant coupons using the live chat. Streamline your checkout process with automated shipping fees and sales tax calculation. Manage your inventory and track your sales from one convenient dashboard. Analyze your comprehensive sales and traffic reports. Check out these and more must-have e-commerce features for sellers who mean business. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce today and join over 700,000 active stores selling worldwide with Wix e-commerce. With the cost of paid ads skyrocketing, now is a better time than ever to hone in on word of mouth marketing for your online brand. Social Snowball is an affiliate marketing platform for Shopify stores that automatically converts all of your customers into affiliates when they purchase and gives them a discount code with their name in it to share right from the thank you page. Social Snowball also makes sending bank-to-bank commission payouts as quick and easy as two clicks, all within your dashboard. Ditch the manual and outdated affiliate softwares and say hello to an innovative solution designed specifically for the modern DTC brand owner. Start your 14-day free trial by heading to socialsnowball.io or just search Social Snowball in the Shopify app store. This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Ju Ru who is the co-founder and CEO of Hero Cosmetics, a brand that creates solutions-oriented skincare products with mindful ingredients that are gentle on the skin. Uh, We're so excited to have Ju on the podcast over here. Her team has been crushing it on TikTok. Uh, One of the top brands on there, I I actually came across a Substack article um, from a Substack called Next Brand that talks about a lot of trending brands and one of their uh, pieces was on great TikTok brands and, and Juice brand was on there. So we had to get her on the podcast to talk TikTok marketing and, and all of that fun stuff over here. But before we dive into everything over here, Ju, I'll pass the mic over to you. Um, if you want to give a quick little intro about yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about what Hero Cosmetics does in your own words. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I'm Ju, co-founder, CEO of Hero Cosmetics. We are a functional skincare brand, best known for our Mighty Patch Acne Patches. We started in September 2017 on Amazon, and it's been about four years. We now sell a box of Mighty Patch every 15 seconds with over 3 million boxes sold and over 8,000 doors. And we bootstrapped for the first like two or three years, raised our first round of um, outside funding last November 2020. Uh, and have since also extended our product portfolio to be just to be beyond patches. So now we have a cleanser, toner, moisturizer. We just launched an SPF. 
we have something called the rescue balm for redness and lightning wand for dark spots. So really trying to create a whole product suite for acne so that whenever you have any type of acne problem, you can come to us. Very cool. That's awesome. And I know we're, we're going to talk about the brand a, a little bit more as well. One thing I'll actually ask that I know we didn't have plan to discuss, but I think one thing that was really interesting when you were just talking over there was the fact that, you know, you bootstrapped the, for the first two to three years and then you raised money. I know a lot of the brands that we've talked to either like kind of like raise it in the first year or, or just bootstrap it the whole way. Um, so I'd be kind of interested and I'm sure our audience would as well to kind of like understand like uh, what was the decision behind deciding to like raise like two to three years in the business versus just like bootstrapping or uh, raising at the beginning? Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, it was really important for me that our business be a business that could stand on its own two feet. I just personal philosophy. I didn't really want to be one of those businesses that um, was never profitable and always had to raise and where fundraising was always sort of the thing to do rather than operating your business. And so it was important for me that our company not be a money pit. Uh, that was kind of a, a principle that I laid out in the beginning. So that's why we bootstrapped. Uh, and I think it, it built good disciplines, like being careful with our money, just always being crafty and resourceful with everything, uh, hiring very cautiously, really thinking about margins and the best channels uh, that were low resource but high impact. And then we were growing really fast. And, you know, I was never opposed to raising money, but it was, you know, there were two questions. One was, do we or do we not? And because we were profitable from the beginning, we were in a position where we didn't need to. So that was great because it was a choice rather than a necessity. So there was always a question of like, do we, do we not? And then the other question was, if so, then when? Like, do we do it earlier? Do we do it later? And when we decided that, yeah, I think we should raise, it was really just to find the right partner uh, because we were growing so fast. We needed people who had seen businesses scale. Uh, we were thinking that an exit would be an outcome that we wanted at some point. And so people who could help coach us along the way, like think about this and maybe you should do that. And you, you know, meet these people and sort of really helping us around uh, along the way. And that was really why we raised was for that partnership and that thought leadership rather than just for the money. Because actually, we, we, you know, since we were profitable, we didn't actually need the money. Uh, but it was really just to have partners who can really coach us along the way. That's awesome. That's definitely one of the more, I think, unique approaches to fundraising that we've talked, that we've listened um, out there speaking to all of these brand founders. I know we're going to talk a little bit about TikTok marketing, and it's a really hot subject, I think, for every single brand, yep. since it's uh, just so popular. It has uh, a, a lot of value being on that platform. As I kind of mentioned earlier, I know you're one of the top uh, brands on TikTok in terms of hashtag views. Uh, can you kind of talk to us when you started using TikTok to grow the brand and when you kind of like realized like, hey, we have something good over here. We should spend more resources on this. Yeah, we embraced TikTok in 2019. It was June of 2019. I know specifically that it was June because uh, Rachel, who's our content strategist, she joined us and she said, you guys need to be on TikTok. Uh, I, you know, video is the future. You really need to embrace TikTok. It's perfect for your audience. Um, because we're an acne care brand, our audience tends to be, you know, 18 to 25-ish. And I think back then the TikTok audience was a little bit younger. 
So I said, okay, well, let's try. Uh, I'll give you a budget and let's do an experiment. Um, and so the experiment was, we actually leverage it not just for organic content, but via their TikTok creators. And so we split the budget between TikTok creators and inf- Instagram influencers. And it was for a Target launch. Um, we had just launched in Target and we really wanted to support the launch uh, and make a big you know, buzz and splash on social. And so we split our budget uh, between TikTok creators and Instagram influencers. Uh, We gave them a script, uh, you know, had to involve going to Target, showing the product and talking about the product. We didn't have sales metrics because we were pushing people to go to, you know, a store that we didn't own. So we didn't have the data. But uh, we really looked at sort of impressions and reach and like virality also. And so when we did that test, um, First of all, TikTok creators back then were way more affordable. So, for example, we paid someone who had a million followers, like $200, because in 2019, it was still a very like nascent platform. And so the TikTok creators weren't, you know, I think that industry wasn't as mature as it is now. And so we, we were just getting way more reach for fewer dollars, which is great. But what we saw was that, yeah, across like most metrics, the TikTok creators perform better than the Instagram influencers. So in terms of engagement, in terms of reach, in terms of like CPMs. um, And so we were really happy with that experiment on TikTok. And since then, you know, I told Rachel, like, let's keep going. We should spend more on TikTok. This is really great. And one of the one of the videos actually went viral. I think one of them had like four million views. And so that's where I understood the virality, like the power of TikTok and the potential for virality, which is, you know, a lot more kind of random and democratic than on Instagram. And so right now, I mean, we spend 40% of our influencer budget on TikTok creators because they just, they do so well for us when we find the right folks. Um, And it is one of our most important channels. That's awesome. And I was just sitting there and I, I kind of did like a, a non-audible wow, because that, that was really crazy about in terms of how viral the content went. Um, before we kind of talk a little bit more uh, about like content strategy and all of that stuff, I'd be curious, uh, especially our listeners as well, is like, you know, what is that other 60% of the budget spent on in terms of, I know you talked about, you know, we're spending 40% on TikTok. Can you like outline like maybe like a, a, a couple of places or, or wherever kind of like maybe that other 60% of budget is spent on? Yeah, about uh, 30% is spent on Instagram influencers. So we spend more on TikTok than we do with Instagram influencers. And then we reserve probably another 20-ish for YouTubers. So that's 40, 30, that's 70. And then, yeah, and then the rest of the 10 would be experimental. Um, so we've done things with Twitch streamers and our team is always looking at like cool new platforms or just things that we can test. But it's yeah, pretty split between YouTubers, Instagram influencers, and then the TikTok creators. That's, and then that's the influencer budget. Very cool. Yeah, it's uh, always cool to hear how other brands are experimenting. Um, so let's get back to that, the viral content, uh, how you're crushing it on TikTok over here. I, I know, you know, it's not enough to usually just kind of like create content and and just put it out there. You have to have some sort of strategy on, on what you're putting together and, um, you know, kind of different things that you're either talking about or sharing about or how you organize the content. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about like, 
what your content strategy is is like for for TikTok, uh, maybe even like what types of content you're sharing and, and all of that good stuff as well? Yeah. So on the organic side, I mean, it depends. I think we test a lot of different types of content. Some of it's like behind the scenes. Some of it is more educational. Some of it will be around a product launch. Um, I think the ones that do really well and go viral uh, are ones like when we do the peel off. So the, uh, the way that our acne patches work is they absorb fluid. You put on a pimple and it absorbs the fluid and you can see like the gunk on the patch. And so when you peel it off, there's this visual impact where you can see the gunk on the patch and then uh, usually your pimple has uh, flattened overnight. And so like that type of video has done really well for us. And that's the type of thing that really tends to go viral. And I mean, it's really just a channel where we, I think, experiment. There's a lot of, um, like I have the team uh, focus on sort of like hot trends or hot topics. Like there was a, I don't know how or why, but there was a moment where hydrocolloid strips were kind of becoming a big trend on TikTok. So a lot of people were taking strips of hydrocolloid, putting it on their face, and then doing the peel off. Uh, and we actually have a product that is a strip and that's a uh, hydrocolloid strip. And so um, I noticed that trend. I think I read about it somewhere and I said, we should be owning this trend. We need to get into this trend. We need to insert ourselves. With that, we did sort of a dual gifting strategy to get TikTok creators to start participating in the trend with our product. And then we also had organic content on our side playing into that trend. So there's sort of like an element of definitely having your finger on the pulse and knowing what's, you know, what's trending so that you can insert yourself into the conversation at a moment's notice and, and you know, really be part of that, that community having that conversation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like, you know, you are really into the whole entire space around your brand and, and kind of the community that's around there as well. You know, talking about that point specifically, you know, I, I think uh, it's really important to know for a lot of other brand founders out there, like where people get information and, and kind of how you learn and how you keep in touch and, and stay in touch on those trends. I'd be curious to kind of learn, like, um, what's your process for that? Like, where are some of the places that that you're looking at um, some of the things that you're doing for research to to find what's happening right now. Yeah, I read a lot. I sign up for almost you know every trade kind of industry email newsletter out there. Like I'm you know I'm in beauty and cosmetics and personal care, so I read things like WWD and the Glossy, and I read uh, CEW, and and then you know since we're more digitally native, I'll you know read things like the Lean Lux or like 2PM. Uh, I think Twitter is also obviously a really great resource. I think that's how we connected, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I really I think it's really important to read every day, just you know absorb information because. You need to know what's going on in your category, in your industry, in the world, because those things really can impact your business. So I think, yeah, being informed, you know, even like Slack channels and part of like a bunch of Slack channels where we have different communities of founders and such, just so um, I can keep myself updated with the latest and greatest in the kind of startup and DDC world. So really like any type of, you know, you can go like broad, like, you know, I even read like New York Times and Wall Street Journal and then go more narrow into your industry and your category so that um, that's more specific to your business. But yeah, I think reading and just being up on the trends is critical. 
That's awesome. And, and thanks for sharing all those awesome resources. I've got to ask, do you have your own TikTok account to do research on? Or is it really just like the team that you have uh, that that's kind of doing the research on, on the video side over there? Yeah, I have, we have three people who do a lot on TikTok. So we have two people who are kind of video experts and they know TikTok really well and they're on TikTok all the time, YouTube as well. Uh, and then we have one person who's more of a community manager who's um, there to interact with the TikTok creators, find new TikTok creators and, and help build that community. So they're the ones who are like really in TikTok every day. I check it less frequently, but yeah, they're the ones who are like the experts um, who really know what's going on in the platform updates, you know, like the, the newest trends that we need to play into and things like that. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trends exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D dot io slash podcast and look for the slack community link to claim your invite we hope to see you on there so i I know you mentioned you are a pretty big consumer of content um especially on the the reading side and it seems like you're you're super in the know in terms of what are some of the popular strategies that are out there what are the popular tactics out there um I'd be curious if you have uh, some favorite brands that you kind of look up to as well, whether it is in TikTok strategy or or outside of that, um, that you really kind of like look to and see is like, hey, they're doing a lot of great things. And I'd love to kind of uh, emulate some of that in our brand as well. Yeah, you know, there's this brand called Eight Greens. Uh, it's like a little tablet, like an airborne tablet. But the tablet has the nutritional value of, for example, they write it. It's like three cups of kale and two cups of broccoli and one cup of spinach. Um, And so it was actually founded by this woman who is a cancer survivor. And for her, like getting her greens, the nutrition was really important. And so there are these little tablets that help you get the nutritional value from all your green veggies. So anyways, I had been following them for a while, and I think they had done a lot of marketing, a lot of really great marketing that I followed a lot. They did some great like street sampling uh, and out-of-home activations. They launched like a kid's product, and so they partnered with this cool store in New York City called Camp, which I thought was brilliant. They did samples. They had little... um, uh, what are they called? Like sampling collars made that they put on top of beverages, uh, which I thought was so smart. So, you know, when someone bought a bottle of Perrier, they got a little sample of their eight green tablet and could like, you know, mix it with their Perrier, which I thought was so, so brilliant. Um, there's also a brand called Hello Products. Um, they are known for their charcoal toothpaste. Um, I had been obsessed with their marketing as well. They did, they, they did this really cool thing where they did a spit campaign. And so they had a like a motorcycle with a little sink on the back. And that motorcycle um, went around different cities uh, and they encouraged people to brush their teeth with their toothpaste and <laughs> spit into this sink that was attached to the back of this motorcycle, which I thought was so clever. And, and you know, I really admired their marketing. So we hired their VP of marketing. <laughs> she now works at Hero. But those are two, I think those are two great CPG brands who have done some awesome uh, really creative marketing. Uh, and, you know, I've 
I've definitely picked up some ideas from them. So those are two brands to watch for sure. Yeah, those are some really great examples. And it sounds like, you know, you're a big fan of those kind of like really experimental plays where, uh, you know, it's not something that you're, you're trying to look at cost per click or CPM or, or those kinds of things. And I, I'd love to kind of hear if you've had, and I'm sure you probably have, if you've done some of the same things at Hero and uh, if you can kind of share like um, some of your favorite examples over there as well. Yeah, actually, we, uh, uh, I mean, that's a great question because it's good timing. In July, we started experimenting with taxi top displays in New York City. And so if you're in New York City, uh, there are a bunch of yellow taxis that have like digital displays on top. So we have, um, we have a brand video that runs on a loop that's supposed, you know, they're supposed to circle around like certain areas. And it was fun. I like tweeted it out and someone was like, oh, how do you track? Is it all like brand awareness? But actually they have a beacon uh, on their digital display. And then we have a, like a pixel and a tracker on our website. So they know when you, when you've been near the um, digital display on a taxi, and then if you visited our site, they can tell, they can tell that you were near that taxi and that you visited our site. And they have a whole dashboard, which shows kind of where the taxis are, like how many people have visited your site after seeing the, the display, which I thought was really cool. And then actually this weekend, this weekend, July 10th and 11th, we're doing a big uh, sampling program because we just launched our new SPF product called Force Shield Superlight SPF. And so we have deluxe minis that we're giving away along with ice cream sandwiches and or vegan uh, strawberry pops. And so we are partnering with this agency called Coffee and Clothes. We brand wrapped this truck that's going to be in certain parts of New York City on Saturday, certain parts of Brooklyn on Sunday, giving out samples of both the SPF and also ice cream. And then we have a big QR code strategy. So I'm a big fan of QR codes, which, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about in a bit. But the truck is going to have a big QR code on the front, which is more of a, you know, if you scan it, it'll take you to more of a brand experience. The napkin that we pass the ice cream out with will have a QR code. And then the sample of the Deluxe Mini will have a QR code on the back. And that takes you to the PDP. So each QR code takes you to a different place, uh, depending on kind of like literally where you are, if you're like at the the truck or versus, you know, the napkin, or um, you've tried the SPF and you like it and you probably want to buy, takes you to a different journey. So that I'm really excited about too, to see how well that does. And then let me tell you a little story about the QR codes and why I'm so excited about them. But it was earlier this year, I think maybe March or so, but we were in a segment on the Today Show and it was one of those, you know, shoppable segments where they say, oh, these are like the 10 best products from Amazon. Uh, we sell on Amazon. And so the thing that was different about this segment, uh, because we had been on a similar segment before, is that this segment had a QR code on the TV that people could scan and it would take you straight to the Amazon page and you could purchase. And no joke, but the day that that segment ran, our sales on Amazon uh, increased by 70%. And previously, when we were on a similar segment, uh, there was no QR code and we didn't really see a bump. So it leads me to believe that having the QR code on on the screen led to that 70% bump in sales. And so I immediately understood the power of QR codes because now, you know, because of coronavirus, I think a lot of us are a lot more accustomed to using them. And so we're in the very kind of early stages of having a pretty robust QR code strategy. 
That's really cool. And thanks for sharing that data. Yeah, I totally feel that. I think, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of the restaurants that I've visited um, recently have the QR code scanner. And I had to download one on my phone as well because I didn't have... Oh, do you have an Android? I have an iPhone. Oh, okay. um, but I don't know if there was a, a native one. So I just downloaded an app on there for it. You can use your camera. I didn't know that. I'll have to check that out next time. I yeah. have a, a QR code app on there. So I'll check out the, the native version next time. And I know you talked about a, a little bit on the the why piece of why you think it, it performed a little bit better. Um, but what was kind of the strategy, especially for, you know, what you're you're working on right now with the QR codes on the napkins and the, the samples that you're handing out and all of that stuff? I know you mentioned like they're going to be going to different pages and, and things like that. What was kind of the the strategy and, and reasoning behind that? And I, I'm sure you don't want to give away too much, but um, anything you can share there would be awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, so for the sample, we figured we, you know, people would be trying it. And if they liked it, they probably would want to buy it. And so leading, you know, it made sense for that, that QR code to lead to a PDP so that they could easily purchase and then for the napkin and the truck, I mean, it's really, it's kind of an awareness and acquisition play, right? Because we're hoping to reach a bunch of new people who don't know the brand or don't know our products. And so if the first touch point is really going to be the truck and they don't know who we are, the idea was, you know, it shouldn't lead to a PDP because they don't really know anything about our brand or products or anything. It should be more higher level, higher funnel. And so I think with both the QR code on the truck and on the napkin, because those are kind of earlier touch points where they haven't tried our product yet, they probably don't know that much about our brand. We felt like it was better to have more of a, you know, to have the QR code lead to more of a brand page. And then it's interesting because we're coming out with some products that will be available at Target later this year. And the packaging will have QR codes. And so it's kind of also a discussion of, well, where does that go? Because if that QR code goes to our uh, D2C PDP page, Target's not going to be very happy, obviously. And so it's pretty interesting, like once the QR codes go more into omnichannel or into stores, like it opens up other questions of like, where should we lead them? How can we make Target happy? But how, how can we also educate the end user uh, who might not know about our products and such? So it's, it's been pretty interesting. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And, you know, I, I, I'm a marketer at heart. So the, the marketing brain inside me is kind of going like, this is like a great place to, to test out different ideas. I'm sure you could probably even have different QR codes on like a, a random set of the products in the store too, and like AV tests and, and all of that fun stuff as well, which I'm, I'm sure you've uh, thought about. So thinking about um, QR codes, because I know we haven't, we've never really covered that subject on on the podcast over here. What are your thoughts about kind of like the the future of QR codes and how it maybe fits in with direct to consumer, even retail, um, and even other things where you think the the market might be heading in terms of like strategies to to really like have that strong connection with the customer journey and customer experience. Yeah, it's so interesting because in Asia, particularly I think in China, QR codes have been a lot more widely used. And for the longest time in the US, like I, I kind of feel like QR codes were sort of a joke. Like, oh, what you know, why would you use a QR code? Like, no one uses QR codes. Um, but I think it's it's better because uh, yeah, before like you needed an app to read the QR codes, but now with the iPhone, I don't know what Android does, does but with the iPhone, your camera 
recognizes a QR code, so it's much easier to scan. And then, uh, obviously, with COVID, like a lot, you know, everyone's a lot more used to scanning them because of menus and other things. So, anyways, I think adoption uh, and usage of QR codes in the U.S. has obviously probably grown exponentially. And if you think about it, your screen is kind of a another surface where you can do more education and do more. I don't know. Uh, you can lead them to a certain action. Uh, because for example, if you're in a store, you're kind of only limited to your primary, your secondary packaging. You're limited to, let's say like the box or your, you know, your primary component in terms of what you can do to educate. But if you have the QR code on the package and someone scans it, it gives you like more surface area for you as a brand to, I don't know, do more education or maybe introduce a game or some other kind of experience, which I think is really cool. It's kind of an extension in terms of, yeah, like the space or that you have to play with to really communicate your message. And I mean, I'm really bullish on QR codes. I think shoppable QR codes are really powerful, obviously, as we've seen from the Today Show. I'm kind of surprised that more shows like shopping segments don't have them incorporated because uh, I think I've seen the power in terms of conversion that a QR code can have. But I know it's still, I think it's still the early phases of QR codes for brands. I was on a Twitter conversation about it and I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to incorporate it, what to do. But I do think we're going to see a lot more of them for sure. Yeah, that's really cool. And I'm excited to see that. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I was a kid going to the grocery store and grabbing like a cereal box and having the the enter the website um, and then you enter in the code yeah. to get like the reward or, or whatever. And um, it's really cool to kind of see that come back in a different form. Um, one thing I, I'd love to kind of touch on as we're coming towards the end of the podcast, because I have this really uh, interesting question for you, because I saw this on your Twitter, actually. Um, you had talked recently about building your business, one of the things that you had tweeted was like, uh, one of the things that you were most concerned about in terms of competition was from private label. Um, and I thought this was a really interesting topic since we haven't really talked very much about this on our podcast before. Um, so I'd be kind of curious in the, the time that we do have left, um, if you can at least like unpack a, a little bit of that um, and, and talk to us about that subject um, and, and your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get asked by investors and other people, you know, who's your competitor? Who's your competition? And usually I'll say, um, oh, you know, there are a lot of 1.0 brands like a Neutrogena or ClearCell. And I realize like I often forget that, you know, a retailer private label is probably the scariest competitor or potential competitor there could be because they have all your data. So they know exactly like what SKUs are selling the best. They know which SKUs are selling the worst. They own the relationship with the customer and they own that data too. So they know exactly, you know, what type of customer buys your product, what age group, what gender, like which demographic, which stores you sell the best in. And, and they can take all that data and they could easily uh, create their own brand. And that's a competitor. They own the shelf space. So they can say, oh, you know, sorry, you're going to move from eye level to below because we're going to put our private label at eye level, which is like prime real estate. And so there's so many things that they have access to or that they control that it's quite scary. I think they could probably do a lot. And so... 
We haven't seen too many private label competitors yet, but I'm just kind of counting the days. I feel like they're going to come and uh, I definitely want to have my eyes on them because uh, I, I think it would be a mistake to underestimate private label brands as competition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and that's cool what you're working on. Uh, it kind of made me think of the QR code stuff you're working on because it is kind of a way for you to capture additional points, whether you have the full uh, information of the the consumer or not, um, you know, it's additional data points, um, which is really cool to think about over there. This has been a, a really awesome podcast. I know we're coming right to the end over here. Ju, thank you so much for, for joining us on the podcast over here. It's been really great to kind of learn from you, learn about TikTok marketing a little bit more, learn about QR codes, which I definitely have some homework cut out for me to, to research a little bit more on as well. So as we kind of come to the end over here, um, uh, one of my favorite questions for asking founders, what's kind of next for Hero Cosmetics? What do you have uh, planned coming up? I know you talked about some experiential things that, uh, that you have planned. Um, what's next for the brand um, and, and where are you kind of heading? We're continuing to launch innovation that that expands us outside of just patches. So we're going to have a slew of products later this year, a ton of new products coming next year. I uh, am working with a branding agency because we want to use this time to sort of, I would say, refine our branding because uh, we've done so much in a, a small amount of time. And I just want to make sure our our value prop and our principles and what we stand for is really clear to um, people who might, might not know us. And I mean, we're hiring a ton. So anyone out there, you know, if you're looking for uh, a really fast and fun growing company, definitely visit our website for job openings. And yeah, and, you know, I tell my marketing team that they need to spend more money. I tell them that all the time. (laughs) So definitely expect to see us everywhere uh, because we're going to be doing a lot more brand awareness, experimental type of activations. And I think next year is going to be a really big year. That's awesome. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what you have planned and, and what you execute for the brand. Uh, no doubt that you're going to absolutely crush it. And we're definitely going to have to get you on the podcast back at some point because we have more information to still unpack that we didn't have enough time for. But um, Ju, it's been awesome having you on the podcast over here. I know I've learned a lot. I, I, I'm, I know our audience definitely did as well. Um, and before we sign off over here, um, I'll pass the mic over to you one last time, if you can kind of share, uh, you know, where people can learn more about what you're doing, um, and even potentially connect with the brand or, or even connect with you as well. Yeah. So, um, herocosmetics.com is our website. So you can find out about the brand and our products there. And the brand obviously is on social channels like TikTok, obviously, and Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. Uh, and then for me, um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, that's probably where I do most of my kind of brain dump in terms of uh, <laughs> ideas or suggestions or just thoughts about building a business. So yeah, find us on any of those channels. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ju, for for joining us on the podcast. Super insightful episode. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to drop a quick rating and subscribe to the DTC pod. Other than that, we'll see you next time. Thanks again for joining us, Ju. Thanks for having me.